You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Gravity Leadership is a community of people seeking to live our lives in the orienting center of God's love in the midst of our post-Christian world, learning to lead like Jesus, live on mission, and make disciples. In nature, gravity is the phenomenon that brings stuff together, objects as small as atoms and quarks and as large as stars and galaxies. We believe the gravity of the Christian life is the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. The Gravity Leadership Podcast is curated conversations on what it looks like to practically orient our lives and our leadership in the love of Christ, the gravity that holds everything together. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. I'm here with my good friend, co-pastor, co-founder of Gravity Leadership, Ben Sternke. Hello, I'm here. And we have a special guest today. Uh, he is our friend and our sometimes confidant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've told him things. Have you told him? I've told him things that I don't want him to repeat. Oh, so yeah, that's a confidant. Oh, he's told me. <laughs> oh, shoot. He's not a good confidant. Our friend, David Fitch. Welcome, David. Okay, good to be here with you two guys, as always. Thanks. Uh, the two guys who've taught me more about social media and communications than any <laughs> other people on the face of the earth, with the possible exception of Holesclaw. Jeff Holesclaw. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, David Fitch, if for a, those of you... possible exception. I don't know if he's taught me more than you two guys. Seriously. I showed you how to put your location on your tweets. Click that little button to tell people where you, you are. Yeah, we were in a van somewhere <laughs> in Bethesda, Maryland. Together. You need to teach me that again because okay. I think... All right, we'll work on that. Yep. Uh, yeah, for those of you who don't know David, he is a um, the evangelical chair of Betty Lindner Theology. Is that it? Uh, no, B.R. Lindner Chair of Evangelical Theology, and yes. that means theology that is evangelical, gospel-driven, into culture theology. Great. At Northern <laughs> Seminary, he's also one of the co-pastors at Peace of Christ Church in Westmont, Illinois. Little known fact about David, he and I co-pastored together ten back, years ago or day. so at Life on the Vine. He also it's been not ten years ago. It's been ten years, man. Oh wow! It's been ten years. Crazy man. You look the same though, Dave. Let me tell I look you, better. <laughs> you do. You do look ten better. Years ago, ten years ago, I was a wreck. You were. <laughs> but between then and now, you've been cured of diabetes 17, 18 times. I think. And, it's, and I, I got the body of a 38-year-old from the neck down. 
This is unverified. Very few people have ever seen you in your your one piece. That's why on the beach. I, that's why I can say that because uh, no one's ever seen me neck down anyways, <laughs> naked. So I don't have to worry about having to verify that piece of truth. All right, we'll get Ray on Rayanne on next week. Just an assertion. <laughs> we'll ask her about it. Okay, so t- today uh, we want we're going to talk a little bit about uh, leadership. We uh, that's what we do here, and also about practices that form and shape us for leadership. Dave, you've written this book, uh, which is a, would you say it's a condensation? It's a, it's a, it's a summary. It's an, ab- it's an abridged version of faithful presence. Yes. It's called seven practices for the church on mission. Hmm. It's, it can fit in your pocket. And if you were wearing jeans and they weren't too tight, sometimes Tebs, yeah, you wear tight jeans. Okay, well. <laughs> this might not apply to you, but uh, for most people, you could stick this in the back pocket of your jeans. It's that small. And as an abridged version, most people don't like to read 225-page books that have a lot of theology in them. Most people do have time to read a short book, a condensed version. And this, this is why we published it. It's something that can be used congregation-wide to draw them into these practices. Yes, hmm. it's sort of the 21st century missional version of the prayer of Jabez. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> wow. <laughs> no, it's great. So real quick, the seven practices, yes. uh, the Lord's table, uh, reconciliation, proclaiming the gospel, being with the least of these, being with children, the fivefold ministry uh, structure, and kingdom prayer. Now, my question, my first question for you, Dave, is, why practices? Why not seven values? Why, why, why are yeah. you talking about practices and not values? Well, it's because, um, you know, uh, I don't know. There's multiple layers of the answer to that question. But uh, I, okay, let me just start with this point. Uh, when you declare your values as a leader in a church, you are now supposedly, I I would suggest, tasked with the job of, can I say, imposing your values on a church instead of cultivating values in your church. Values are, you know, in the modern world, uh, values are this strange thing that somehow once we think we name them, I have the value of inclusion. Okay, now, uh, what does that mean? Well, uh, it's tasked to the uh, leader to uh, not only define inclusion, but make sure everybody's living up to it. Now, this isn't the way uh, God works. Inclusion is something that's cultivated among us through practices of what Jesus has given to us through his presence to change us, shape us into his presence. And inclusion is a value that we share that takes shape among us. And that's how we know it when we see it. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I, yeah, I hear you saying a value is like an aspirational, like we hope this is, this defines us as a community, but then like the actual, like what, like how would we know if we arrived? Well, who knows? Or who's defining it? Well, probably the leader. And then, what does it mean? 
you know, we, there's a lot of uncertainty about it. Whereas if you're, if you're defining and uh, uh, kind of revealing a practice, well, that's actually something you can do. You can say, like, do we practice that? Well, yeah, we, you know, I did yesterday, you know, or is that kind of what you're saying? Values are this aspirational idea. Practices are on the ground. Well, I can verify if I'm practicing it. I, yeah, that's exactly it. Uh, my slant on this is I am very worried about leaders imposing their preconceived values on a group of people. Mm. A, how do you know that your values are what God wants to do in this place? Two, how do you know your version of the values? And how do you know you're seeing it when you see it? Uh, and then most importantly, out of all these things, you can't shape people into values by coercing them into it. You need, so, okay, so this gets to a, Maybe this is touching on a little uh, sensitive topic for me. Uh, maybe you guys have hit me at a, at a bad time in my life. This is a safe place, Dave. You can be yes. right where you are. God's so real, he's going to most fully meet you right here. So go. Right here. Yeah, Yeah, but this is pure coincidence. Well, last night at the pastor's meeting, uh, I'm one of uh, five pastors at uh, Peace of Christ Church in Westmont, Illinois. And um, one of the pastors whom I love said something like, I, you know, uh, we, I, I, I feel we are not an inclusive community. There are people we do not receive well in this church. There are people on the margins that we don't receive well. And so I don't think this leader was suggesting this, but this is my sensitivity to the subject. I think I received it as Oh, now we got to go out and be a better inclusive community and and we got to make sure everybody's in line and we got to start preaching more sermons on this and 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 the impulse there is we need to be more inclusive with a <laughs> with something like damn it. <laughs> yeah. Let's get right. in line here. Right. And 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 what I, so you know, by the way, I, I had to write an email confessing my sin that I got a little too uptight about all this last night. This happens a lot and it's okay. It's okay. None of us are perfect. We, I was just reflecting on this this morning, how all of us leaders have grotesque imperfections that are not going to go away by the snap of the finger. So just be who you are and let the leadership thing shape you, call you into confession. It's, it's just part of it. But anyways, um, I said I prefer to s stick to specific situations and discern how to guide each specific situation. So I think it would have been helpful last night, and we were discussing a particular situation in our community. I think it would have been helpful to, okay, how are we cultivating and how have we failed or lived up to the practice of being with the least of these with these folk that we were talking about. And then I would have liked to maybe gone a little bit further and said, because I had three or four other examples in my mind that are just spectacular examples of how we have been, I, I don't really like the word inclusive, but we have uh, opened our lives to people of all shapes, sizes, places, and, and been able to be used to be ministered 
to allow them to minister to us and us to them. And so do you get what I'm saying? Instead of saying, we need to be more inclusive, let's examine each situation for how we are being with them hmm. and what God is doing. Can I, That's the practice of being with the least of these. Yes. Me. Can I tell you what I, I, this is what I hear you saying. I hear you saying yeah. that values start with sort of propositional abstractions that we have to look to conform to. Yes. Whereas practices or what you're describing starts with local, particular, specific discernment. And we yes. and we move from the granular, relational, contextual up rather than abstract general down. Yes. And mm-hmm. and and by the way, there's a dynamic there in leadership that is extremely important to me. Because when you abstract something from the particular it almost always turns into an ideological, uh, for lack of a better word, signifier. Oh boy, here we which go. In that, which, which can become empty and it doesn't mean anything. Now we just become, are we, in, we are an inclusive community. Because no, we put it on the sign. Or, or, uh, you understand what I'm saying? Can you explain that? Because I just think that's so important in leadership. Yeah. Yeah. Academy. Yeah. So the, the idea is we want to be known as this kind of community. We're using the word inclusive here. but like, And so we're going to put it into the vision statement. We're going to put it on our sign. Uh, we're, going to, we're going to do all the things that would be required for us to feel like and for others to perceive us as this kind of community, rather than actually practicing what would it look like to be that kind of community. And do we have any situations right now in our community you know that are that are bringing that up, and so hmm. so it's almost like the first question after like we we should be more inclusive. Um, the first question is uh, where, with whom, why is that coming up for you? What have you seen that makes you think that we're not? You know, and then we we have to deal with that situation. Yes, and uh, uh, I just want to be quick to say in case any of the pastoral team of Westmont, yes, the Christ Church are listening that um, I'm not accusing them of any of this or all of this. This is just the learnings I'm taking away from what happened last night in the pastoral committee meeting. Yeah. And so, actually, yeah. you, you mentioned you, you wrote an email, and it sounds like if— uh, Dave, would you say if you practice and cultivate the practice of, let's say, reconciliation and being with the least of these in your church, that you will then be able to— have the character and the f- the social architecture to be a community that is appropriately inclusive or faithfully inclusive. Yes, uh, yeah. and and by the way, we we might not even have to say the word inclusive. <laughs> it'll be so right. Uh, it'll people will experience it on a level that just you know. Yes. Yeah, because that word can be, as you said, like a, a signifier. That can be like code for like, oh yeah, we know what you mean by that, right? Right, right. And I just want to point out too, your email sounds like practicing reconciliation as well, right? So you had a, had a little bit of a, a blow up at the meeting. Part of the practice of reconciliation is writing this email and saying, hey, sorry about that. Well, that's the least of it, right? Right, that's the, le- that's the least of it, but it is an example of it. I'm just trying you to give know, people our, handlebars. Our leadership team, um, it's, just, it's just gifted with multiple different kinds of 
persons, personalities. And so this kind of blow up uh, is not rare. It's actually a good sign that we are actually wrestling with who we are and where God's leading us. That's good. The practices that we're talking about, seven ones you just listed, well, they have to be practiced by the leadership team. In fact, probably they have to be practiced first by the leadership team in order to lead others into these same practices. Okay, so you just mentioned kind of the the difficult or uh, difficult the di- the distinct personalities and all the the multi perspectives you have on your team. I was talking to a youth pastor this week, who he got caught up in the changing of senior leaders, and when a new senior leader came in, uh, he was he was talking to the senior leader, the new senior leader, and uh, out of the blue from nowhere, the senior leader brought him in and said, "Hey, uh, we need to reassign you." Uh, you're, you're not going to be over youth ministry anymore. You're going to do this new college ministry. Uh, and then uh, two months later, uh, there was no money in the budget for the college ministry, and he was let go. Uh, and so there, there's this, the playbook, the leadership playbook in the United States, uh, or North America even, is you've got to get people who have chemistry, who are, who are, who are just like you, who are bought into your vision, who, who are, you, you don't, like if you're going to run an efficient organization, you don't need friction and persona- different personality conflicts. But it seems like Dave that you embrace that as a part of the formation of a leader. Would you say more about why? And this gets into the fivefold. Why the fivefold is important for the formation of a leader in a church? Yeah. Well. Okay. Uh, I don't know where to start on this. This is so uh, thick multi-layered but I, I just start with, with the first thing that comes to mind if you take a person like me i am in case you don't know out there in the audience i'm a white guy <laughs> in case you don't know i'm an older white guy uh and i tend to be an apostolic kind of guy that's my giftedness i am always i i used to say every leadership team needs a bobby knight right um <laughs> To remember Bobby Knight coaching basketball, he used to pick up the chairs and throw them out onto the basketball floor. Oh, yeah. Totally loved everything. Well, um, th- that has its place, and and frankly, um, I probably said that to self-justify my own existence. <laughs> <laughs> but but the the uh. point is, you can't just have a Dave Fitch on the leadership team. And what's happened all across America is Dave Fitch will impose his will. I'm speaking, I don't do this. You're speaking archetypally. Know. Yeah, but the Dave Fitch that once was will will impose his will on a bunch of other people, will will be a demagogue, a leader from the top down. It's very efficient, by the way. Gets a lot done. People who are, people who are uh, attracted to Dave Fitch, which, you know, if you, I was going to make a joke about <laughs> I'm not going to do that. Uh, uh, they will come. People who aren't will not come. The vision, as stated from the top down, will attract those who already believe and and will get rid of those who don't. And we will have these very, um, uh, what's the opposite of heterogeneous, uh, homogeneous peoples that don't engage the world. Uh, this is a catastrophe. The only time this kind of leadership works is in Christendom, where everybody's already a Christian. And they just have to line up with the best thing that works for them to get them through life until Jesus comes. Um, we're in mission. And that means we need relationally engaged leadership teams that engage the structures, that engage the uh, 
the problems, the situations, the, the, the tumults, the antagonisms of the world. And so we've always got to engage. And, and so it can't just be Dave Fitch running the organization. Very efficient in Christendom, and, uh, but it gets us nowhere in mission. And uh, by me having listened to Gene, I grew. And the, and, the, and, and the church changed. Me having to listen to all the other people on the pastoral team and them having to listen to me, I disrupt, but then they go, well, what about this? What about this pastoral need? How are we going to do this? And, and we engage. Um, that's, do you want leadership that engages the world and engages people's lives? Or do you want leadership that organizes people into a into an architecture that you have predetermined is going to be good only to work for the people that are in your club. I used to say, I do not want to be a member of a, of a church that agrees with everything I believe in because I will never grow. I will never change and we will not engage. It's kind of like the Groucho Marx principle of leadership. I don't want to be a member of a church that would have me as a member. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so so you're seeing it as almost like there's this co- there's this colonizing imperialistic impulse that comes when you have the demagogue, and so we we go out and conquer and sort of aggregate and appropriate everybody, and you become just like me. But in this, in the church is practicing the fivefold, maybe maybe is is working on becoming more reconciling, being with the least of these people who have distinct indifferences. There's a, a outworking of how do we. How are we in mutual solidarity with people who maybe offend us or maybe are distinct from us? And that, that does good, good work, you're saying. That does fantastic work. I was, uh, I, pardon me while I look up my uh, Twitter feed from this morning oh. or my Facebook, but I was just writing about this. Let me see. Uh, hold on with me, peeps. Uh, oh, yeah, here it is. The church is always working towards unity. Unity includes theological faithfulness, which includes both the truths we have already agreed on and the faithfulness to extend these truths faithfully into new matters. Our unity is divine is defined. Okay, now I'm getting to the point of the matter. A few people want to sleep out there. (laughs) You can wake back up. It's time. Here it goes. Our unity is defined by our mutual community. Our unity is defined by our mutual commitment to discern together the future under one Lord, authority of Scripture, by the Spirit, with our histories. Unity can't be static. It's always on the move. Unity can't be static. It's always on the move. When you do hierarchical leadership under one dude, and I emphasize dude, because the dudettes are usually excluded from this kind of leadership. When you do leadership under one dude, you are not on the move. You are static and in place and trying to organize something that will build an empire. Empire is static, by the way, because they want every, they want to keep the power in place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So is this is, is all these practices just uh, the way that you're not becoming the worst version of yourself? <laughs> is that what you're saying? Mm, um, well, I don't know. There's something something there but there's also something not there that's not ringing true so for instance um don't enter into these practices for can i put it this way to 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 go extreme don't enter them for narcissistic purposes don't think 
I'm going to do this to become a better me. Don't make it a self-help practice. Kind yeah, of Joel, Joel Osteen probably wouldn't understand the, th Never mind. I, that was antagonistic. <laughs> Lord, forgive me. You know, no. So this is uh, not your best life now. This is our best life in Christ together. How about that? Woo! There you go. That's the second edition right there. There it is. <laughs> and and so this is the kingdom of God being shaped around and in and among us. Yeah. And this is our way of entering into his presence, mm -hmm. which the kingdom is his presence. Yeah. And this is where we flourish in the kingdom. Flourishing, by the way, will look differently in the kingdom than in the kingdom of empire or the kingdom of the United States of America or the kingdom of Donald J. Trump or the kingdom of Ronald Reagan or whatever you want to say. Mm -hmm. it, and, and, and it will take time. You know, uh, so, so the question for your peeps, for your audience is, what kind of leadership do you want to participate in? I have talked to, I don't want to say hundreds, but many, many leaders caught up in the leadership of hierarchy and efficiency and top-down power and mission values from the top down. And they're exhausted within three to five years. They're exhausted. It's, it's such hard work to keep such a thing going. But when we're just living in the kingdom, and we are submitting ourselves to the presence of Christ. You, I told somebody the other day, I could work 16 to 18 hours a day doing this and not be tired. I mean, hey, I'll need my rest. Uh, uh, this is probably going to provoke uh, a little problem between us three by me saying, <laughs> doing the kingdom, I can work 18 hours a day. Mm -hmm. I can work 70 hours a week and not be tired. But there's a bit of a truth to that. I'm telling you. Yeah. Somebody, so anyways, I'll let you go off on that and tell me all the reasons why I'm wrong. And I never should have said that to anybody because now we're going to turn the workaholics into no. their worst selves now. No. We, you know we, what I'm trying to say here? Totally. Yeah. We, we've talked about it before um, as like an integrated life. So doing kingdom work isn't something that's separate from my life. It's I'm learning to live my life as an act of kingdom work, you could say. I'm learning to live my life in the kingdom of God, which means, uh, you know, we can say with Jesus, my father is always working, and so I'm always working. Like, even though I'm not, like, working, but I'm always working. I'm always trying to discern. I'm always trying to see. I'm always trying to understand how is God present here? How is he at work? And how do I perceive that? How do I enter into that and invite others and create space for others to enter into it? Like, if that's not my life... Well, you know, then I want it to become my life. So that's what I hear you saying. Right. Right. Uh, I, I think I once said bivocationalism is not, uh, I forget now what I said, something like uh, two different jobs. It's one life. Right. It's all one life. It's, right. It's seamless. Yes. Uh, my mother uh, calls me up. Uh, folks out there, my mother's 90 years old. She's a saint. Okay. She calls me up and says something like, oh, you're working too hard. You're going from here to here to here. Okay. And and, and sometimes I do need to hear that. But um, I, I, I tell my mom, mom, it's not like what you're thinking. It's not like that. It's not like I, I, I the hardest part of my life is getting on an airplane. I hate airplanes. I hate flying. The rest is just... And by the way, that's actually a submission to the kingdom, to the presence of Christ getting on an airplane. 
Uh, now I'm not making any sense to anybody, but can, 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 can you guys help me explore this idea? There was a time in my life where when I preached in front of people, and this started way back when I started again into ministry at the age of like 32 or 33, I got up in front of large crowds and I thought I had to, uh, I hate to use this word, I thought I had to perform. I thought I got to make this good. I got amped up. I, I would pray, Lord, help me to do this. But sometimes I was saying, Lord, help me to be good. Help me to be great. Help me to blow them away today. Yeah. No, I don't do that. Somewhere along the line, um, I shifted. And I realized I just got to submit who I am and what God's doing. And the time I had to prepare this sermon and just offer it. Offer it. You know, I do blow a sermon. I do blow it. You blow it. Yeah. I, uh, Babcock, the coach of the Detroit Red Wings, he's a, it's a hockey team. He says, <laughs> 20, 24 hour rule. Okay. Learn from it, grow from it, but flush it after 24 hours. Um, I blow it. I go, Lord, I offered it to you. I don't know what happened. I don't want to blame you, <laughs> but I don't know what happened. But Lord, I offer to you now. I got to go on, uh, and I just feel like we're when we're released from the pressure, the efforts, the self-generated energy to perform, and we just offer whatever we have to Christ and let Him do it in this space of the kingdom. It's it's just not that tiring anymore. So I want to name for our listeners. We we've kind of gone through our axioms of these missional theology axioms, the way we see Jesus inhabiting the world. Mm. And what you just described, Dave, is how we practice these axioms. That yes. that God is present and at work, that He cares about it more than we do. Right? That that He's got us so real, He's gonna most fully meet us where we really are. And what He wants to do through us, He's also gonna first do or more fully do even in us. And so as we live as though God cares about this sermon more than I do, I don't have to push. I don't have to produce. I'm not compelled or driven to get something from the sermon that I'm lacking mm-hmm. because I've got I, every, like all things are mine in Christ. Everything, yeah. right? And so yeah. I'm able out of that presence, out of that, out of that abundance, out of having all the belonging and significance and security I could ever want in the kingdom of God and the Lordship of Christ, I can be faithful here. Yeah. Faithful is the key word. It's a great word. Um, you know, uh, there's this also this truth. I wish you could. Tebby and Sternkey always can explain what I'm trying to say much better than myself. So, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, there's this thing uh, where the uh, John the Baptist says, he must increase, I must decrease. There's this thing about pointing to Jesus in your life. And, and, and for me, it kind of looks like this. I, I, I land off, I get off a plane, I, I go to a situation where I've been asked to uh, talk on a subject, and I discover I'm talking to 13, this happened to me last summer, I discover I'm talking to 1,500 people. I thought I was going to talk to 50 pastors. <laughs> and I go, okay, uh, I'm not really, I didn't really prepare for this, but look, it, it looks like this. I'm 60 years old. I I, uh, this is it. This is all I got. I can't be what I'm not. Lord, I just give you this and, and let her, let her rip. (laughs) And, you know, uh, so there's in that, there's this thing about, ah, I'm so past trying to 
impress anybody. I'm so past this being about me. I'm so past this being about my identity. And I don't know if you can get there or how you get there. It took me a while to get there. Some people might say, well, okay, it's Fitch. And, you know, pff, took him till he was 60. Actually, it started <laughs> and I, whatever, whatever you learn from that, the sooner you get there, the better. Yes. And it's so freeing. And God now will do with you what he wants to do. And Amen. it's not going to be about you, but you will feel the sense of fulfillment of being used by God that so surpasses those moments where, oh man, I sure impressed those people today. I yes. feel good today about myself. That'll last, for me, it would last somewhere between uh, two days and 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. And it really wasn't worth much in the yeah. end. But to be used by God. Yes. Through Jesus, by the Spirit, in whatever situation, mm. transforms my soul. Yes. I, and I would say that I think, I think this is our project. Like that, the, that result that you're talking about, I think that that has been the, the we've, we've seen like, yes, there's something here for us as leaders to learn how to do this. And I think that's, what behind, that's what's behind our seven axioms, um, is these are ways of naming assumptions that we need to embrace if we're really going to be able to live that way, right? So I can't live that way unless I'm sure that God is always present and at work even in my mistakes, even in my blowing a sermon, et cetera. And, and we, we can go through the list. So I see, I'd like to even maybe do a follow-up at some point maybe of like, what's the relationship between the axioms that, that we've outlined, which are essentially paradigms, ways of seeing, and then the practices of the church that, that you've laid out there, um, Dave. Like, yeah. Because I, I think there's a way of doing the practices where uh, doing the practices will reveal what we believe about the paradigms, you know, or whether we're really mm. seeing them through the paradigms. Yeah. Does that make sense? Um, so anyway, I'd love to do a follow-up there, but I think, I think there's something to it of saying, uh, living my life committed to these paradigms, living my life uh, committed to these practices, that will be the pathway for me as a leader to grow into the kind of security and belonging and significance that you're talking about, um, that you can you know, yeah. get up in front of 1,500 people when you weren't expecting to and just think, well, this is okay. Uh, even if I mess this up or if people think I'm terrible, uh, that's still okay. Everything's okay. Yeah, yeah. I know I know uh, pastors who've struggled uh, when they hear uh, their, some of their leadership think their preaching's bad. Um, okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, and, and it's a struggle because they built their identity around preaching. I'm a great preacher. I, I say, don't build your identity around that. Mm -hmm. Let God use you. You might be a good preacher today. You might develop that skill. Uh, but that might not be true five years from now. And that's okay. Because God's using you and developing you and growing you and and really, it's offering your life. There, there are some preachers which probably need to leave the ministry and do something. Go be a plumber. It's okay. Mm -hmm. God's going to use you as a plumber. Not uh, in, in, in many ways you never anticipated beyond being a preacher. I don't know if that made sense. But to me, don't form your identity on how good of a preacher, a good pastor, a good this, a good writer. Oh, I wrote a book. I must be good. No, you're not. <laughs> Three million books a year, folks, get published. Three million a year. That's a lot of books. Yeah. Uh, anybody can publish a book. Even me. The point is, 
find your identity in God using you for his kingdom in all the ways that he's shaping and working around you. And, and you will experience kingdom and a sense of peace. And you won't always be striving to be something you're not. Yes. Great, great, Dave. Last question. What, what are you learning these days about doing what you're talking about? Where, where's your growth edge right now? In that. Where's my growth what? Growth edge. Like, where are you learning? How are you being formed and shaped as a leader right now where you are becoming more like the leader you're talking about? Uh, well, uh, this morning I wrote that email. <laughs> and and that's, about as, uh, that's about as present in my life as, because it just happened like an hour ago. I mean, the email, uh, the whole event happened last night. Yeah. Uh, I find that, oh, I find the fact that I screw up regularly and that there's a leadership team uh, with me that tell me that, <laughs> tell me when I screw up. So, sometimes it's a look. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. I won't mention any names, but if I did, you'd know, you two would know the names. <laughs> and, and the one I'm thinking about is it's a look. Yep. That's all I need. This person is so genuine and so kind that she probably won't say directly to me what she, it'll take her a while, but the look <laughs> okay, and 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 yet some of the other people around that table will tell me directly, quickly. Yeah, uh, and and that, folks, I cannot survive as a pastor without that dynamic in my life. Otherwise, I am prone to becoming an egotistical ass. Yeah, amen. Hey, is, that okay? is that okay to say on the podcast? Yeah, because we know you meant donkey. Donkey. Yeah. A <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 biblical sense. Yeah, yeah, the biblical yes. ass. Let, let the listener understand. Mm. Well, Dave, uh, this has been great. Thanks so much for uh, your transparency and casting vision for us and for this book, These Seven Practices. Kind of the, and I, and I kind of joke about the, like the seven sacraments for missional low church evangelicals. Like they're the there seven, right? Yeah. I mean, if you. Anabaptist sacraments. These are Anabaptist sacraments. Uh, which we might get our Anglican card pulled if we comment directly on... Oh, no, 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 no. It fits right in there. Okay, Very good. Bad. We're good. Anabaptist uh, Anglicans. I mean, McKnight's an Anglican, for Pete's sake. I know, we love and him. He's, yeah. he's an Anabaptist. He's our... Yeah. And they used to kill each other, and now they don't, which is nice. Actually, the Anglicans used to kill it. We're getting off the rails. Okay, Dave, <laughs> thanks so much for having us. I mean, thanks so much for letting us have you, and uh, we love you, man. Till next time, guys. Thanks Peace. so much. Peace. Peace. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. If you found it helpful, please let us know by leaving a rating or review on iTunes or wherever you review podcasts. You can also email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com to ask a question, suggest a topic for future episodes. And join our online community for free at gravityleadership.com slash join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful throughout the week. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join. Sick of being upsold at gyms? 
My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.